Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. Morning, everyone. The reading this morning is from Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to test Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. May God bless our understanding this word. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're having a good week this week. I need my stool. All right. There we go. Now I can preach. All right. So we are in a series looking at the practices of Jesus. And why are we looking at the practices of Jesus? Because if we are disciples of Jesus... A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, and in a very literal sense, a disciple is somebody who does what, you know, the person they're following does. And Jesus did a lot of actual things that you and I can practice as well. So in the first um, week, Pastor Richard looked at solitude and a little coupled with a little bit of silence there. If we turn down the high end a little bit on the frequency, the ring will end. Um, And... Pastor Richard looked at that because Jesus also went away a lot of the time and was in silence and solitude, and we should also do that as well. Sometimes we actually meet God in the silence. And then last week, during our Mother's Day celebration, belated Mother's Day celebration, we looked at how we need to pray. That one is a bit more common because we know we pray all the time in church. Um, But today we're going to look at something rather interesting and different. We're going to look at fasting. And when we look at fasting, we see the example of Jesus, and there's one moment in the ministry of Jesus where he fasts, and that moment is in the wilderness for 40 days when he is actually confronted by the devil. Very interesting. We'll look at that in a little bit, but first I want to pause, and I want us to look at the images on the screen. So over the last two weeks, you're probably wondering, okay, practices of Jesus, why is there an escalator, why is there water and shore, and why is there a railroad track? What does that have to do with this? I've selected these images on purpose. Because as we do things, 
as we actually participate in the life of God through these different spiritual practices or disciplines, and there are many of them, we're only talking about four in this series, if you just do a Google search and type, a, type in spiritual disciplines or Christian spiritual disciplines, there will be a very long list of them. But what these do is they actually place us in the way of God's grace. So if you look at the escalator, it's like, well, I need to be changed by God. God wants me to be changed. So there's actually things that I can do, that we can do, that allow us to step on the escalator. That's all we're doing, if that analogy works. And it takes us somewhere that we couldn't go in our own strength, just by doing these practices. We look at the shore. I was thinking of like a tide. It's like the tide coming in and the tide coming out. Well, you need to actually get in the way of where the tide's coming. And the tide will come, God's grace will come through certain practices that will actually change who you are. And God wants you to change. And then we look at the railroad track. Well, in order to actually go to a certain destination, you need to step on the train. And the train will take you to where you want to go. You see, this whole thing, we're not earning our salvation. We're not, we're not really doing very much. All we're doing is putting ourselves in the way of God's grace. That is entirely it. And these practices and disciplines actually are the vehicle that God uses for us to engage with him and to be changed by his grace. And that's essentially it. So when we actually do these things, God does something in our hearts, and in our minds, and in our persons, in our body, in everything who we are. All right, that's kind of the theology, and I'll unpack that a whole lot more next week, but I thought I would preface this a little bit with that. All right, fasting. Fasting is a tough one because our culture is all about consumption. Our culture is all about immediate gratification. It's a little bit less so here, but it still is here. When I was living in Canada, and especially when I was in the U.S., if you wanted something, all you had to do was go on Amazon, you click a button, and then it could get to your door literally the next day. You and you didn't have to leave your house. You didn't have to leave your house at all. You could have anything you wanted. Here, you may have to wait a couple days. But America, the promised land, you can just wait one day. <laughs> all right. Canada, adjacent, maybe two days, you know. But we're so used to getting what we want when we want it. And food is very much the same way. Very few of us, yes, there are people in this country who live in poverty, but there's not, if you want to get something, someone will give it to you. You actually have a means to go and get it. If you want food now, we can go to fast food restaurants to, you know, fill that hunger. And we have this sense of if we want something, we don't have to wait for it. And what that does, it actually creates in us this lack of patience, this lack of waiting, and this sense that what I want and the desire that is within my heart or my gut needs to be satisfied immediately. And that's actually patterning, patterning us in such a way that we might even treat our own spiritual lives like that. Well, I come to church because in the same way I might want to go to McDonald's. I've come for a little quick spiritual meal. I want it now. And then I'm going to go and, you know, go on and do my life or whatever. Or I go online and go on YouTube, get a little bit of a good sermon that I might not get here today. And then I can receive that. And it's almost like you click, click, consume, consume, consume. 
and all of our needs are kind of satisfied in that sense. What fasting does is it puts a pause on what you want. It puts a pause on the gratification of your desires and actually puts us in the way of focusing in on God and allowing God's word and doing God's will to be the thing that sustains us more than our immediate gut level needs and desires and wants. Fasting is no, oh sorry, I just burped a little bit, my bad. <laughs> fasting, <laughs> fasting is not, um, I had a really good meal last night, disclaimer. <laughs> Fasting is not something, well, that's ironic that I'm talking about fasting anyway. All right, whatever, all right. Fasting, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. All right, pause. Let's go to the next slide. I'm just gonna go to the next slide. All right, here's, here's the bottom line. All right, bottom line, bottom line, bottom line. Fasting is God inviting us into this regular part of fasting so we can get to know him better and be changed as a result. Fasting, God invites us into fasting as a regular part of life so we can get to know him better and be changed as a result. And you might be thinking, Joey, what's with abstaining from food have to do with getting to go know God better? To be honest, it's a bit of a mystery to me, but it seems to do the trick. All right? Some things I can't explain, but it just happens. So fasting is not an uncommon thing in the Bible. It is all throughout, actually many religious traditions, fasting is just a part of a religious tradition. And it is the same way within the Judeo-Christian tradition as well. If we look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 3, we see that Daniel is in exiled out of the promised land with his friends, and he's in Babylon. He's away from the homeland, the promised land. God seems to be far away, but not to Daniel, because Daniel knows that he needs to draw near and closer to God. And how does he do that when he's in exile? He fasts. He knows that there's this Babylonian empire that's trying to form him into someone he doesn't want to be and God doesn't want him to be. So what does he do? He fasts from the delicacies and the good foods of the land and has a very simple diet on purpose. And that's to focus in on God, focus in on his culture, focus in on his religious heritage, even though he's in a foreign land. We also see within this exiled generation in Esther 4, 6, Esther is on this big mission for God, and Esther needs the Jewish people on her side to be praying and fasting for her, because she's trying to petition to allow her people, this Jewish people, to go back into the promised land. So what she does is she asks this person, Mordecai, to go to the Jewish people and say, I need you and the Jewish people to fast and pray on my behalf as I'm going to do this thing for God and for you. So it's almost like fasting is in a way helping her, which is very interesting. If we look at Acts 9.9, and we're getting to the New Testament, Paul, after he had met the risen Christ on his way to Damascus, he was knocked off his horse, was blinded, had scales on his eyes, and, and he, he fasted for three days. And I imagine he fasted for three days to gain more clarity regarding what had just happened to him, but also to draw near to God. It was a very radical experience that he had, and he knew, I need to do something to really focus in on what God has just done in my midst. So his natural response in that moment was to fast. 
we look at Luke 18, 12. It was considered common practice in Jesus' day to fast. And the Pharisees fasted at least twice a week. And it just seemed like it was a natural rhythm in the Jewish life in the first century, in Jesus' context, to fast. It wasn't a matter of, well, do you fast? It was like, well, when do you fast? That was more of the climate at the time. And in Matthew 6, 16, we're talking more about the Sermon on the Mount here, we see that Jesus just assumes that his disciples will fast. It's not a matter of, well, you need to fast, or if you fast, but it is, when will you fast? These are all just really interesting things, I think, for our culture to understand, because fasting has very much been, in my opinion, removed from a common Christian practice. I don't know why that is. I haven't done a historical study on it, but it is more uncommon now than it really ever has been. Fasting used to be a very common thing that Christians practice on a weekly basis. And this sermon, we are going to get very practical. All right, so in the end of the sermon, I'm actually going to help us with this practice of fasting a little bit to actually make it reasonable for us to participate in. But what's the purpose of fasting? This is a quote from a book that uh, the home group I'm a part of is reading. Uh, the Spirit of, no, what is it? The Celebration of Discipline is the book, and Richard Foster is the author. And he, we're going through each of the spiritual disciplines that he's listing, and this one is fasting. There's a quote that I thought was wonderful. More than any discipline or practice, fasting reveals the things that control us. If you have ever practiced fasting, abstaining from food for any period of time, whether short or long, this is what you will experience. You will experience things bubbling up inside of you that you didn't even know was there to begin with. And you start to see, and God starts to reveal to you the things that are truly controlling you. If I'm completely honest, food controls me a lot. But while I have fasted in the past, I've noticed that God has revealed to me that, well, maybe I control me too much as well. Or maybe my will seems to be a whole lot greater than what I would consider somebody else's will should be on me. Maybe I'm more narcissistic than I really would like to admit. And all of this, interestingly, happens through me just not eating for a short period of time. And all of these things just come up. And God is actually starting to reveal what is going on inside of me through this practice of fasting, which just blows my mind. I'm just like, well, okay, here's a bit of a tangent. I'm reading this really interesting book right now. Um, I was talking to Victor the other day about it. I'm not going to go too deep into it because I haven't finished it yet. But it's talking about what is the human person when it comes to Christian education or discipleship. And in the West, a lot of our education assumes that we are primarily thinking people. That if you had to boil it down to one thing, a human being is a thinking person. So what does that do? It means that a lot of our solutions to our problems is education and awareness. Oh, if we just need to, in order to solve our problems, like to change our behavior or to change society, all we need is more education and more awareness. Governments do education and awareness campaigns. If only they knew better, they would be different, is basically a Western understanding of change. That is not completely false, but it is certainly not the entire story. 
We are embodied people who have a body that is patterned in certain ways. And the body and the will and the heart and your desire at a gut level actually drives a lot of who you are and your decision making. And I think clearly first century Jesus and Jewish tradition and Christian tradition has intuitively known this. And I think we intuitively know this as well. So how do we actually combat that? It is through the practices. It's actually through doing things with our bodies that actually help to repattern ourselves and our minds, our hearts, our wills, into more alignment with Jesus, into more of reflecting his kingdom. If we think that we just need to think better things, we need to listen to better sermons, we need to um, just have more knowledge, read more books, these are all great things. But if that is the only thing that we think we need to do to actually become the people that God wants us to be, we are going to be very frustrated Christians. Because you're going to wonder, why do I do the thing I don't want to do, and I know I shouldn't do it? I had the education and the awareness that I shouldn't do it, but why do I keep on doing it? Because we need to actually do things to repattern ourselves, renew our minds and our hearts and our wills. And fasting is one of those bodily things that we can participate in to actually begin the process of changing the will through the body, changing the heart through the body. It's not just a mind thing. We are people who have wills that are intrinsically tied to the person. We are not just thinking people. We are living, embodied, feeling people. We like to think we're very rational people. To be honest, many of us are irrational because of these things, because of our appetites, because of the things that we just desire at a gut level that kind of cloud our thinking from time to time. And this is why I love that quote from Richard Foster. More than any discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. And it is through this practice that we will begin to see actual change happening, even though we're not consciously trying to change. It will just happen like stepping on the escalator, like the tide coming in and getting your feet wet, maybe coming up to your torso, and also like stepping on the train to go on a journey with Jesus. There's these practices that allow this to happen. Also, fasting does this. It's like a little bit of an alarm clock. So it's like a spiritual alarm clock. When I've practiced fasting, this is only through experience, I've noticed that when I get hungry, I am reminded of why I'm fasting. Well, I'm fasting to the Lord. And when I am reminded of fasting because of this thing starts to rumble a little bit, I begin to have more thoughts about God. I'm reminded, almost like an alarm clock, to wake up to pray, to think about God, to dwell on God, to maybe actually position myself in more of a posture of prayer. Maybe I want to, when I get hungry, it'll prompt me to maybe turn on a worship song or music and to actually sing. There's, it's almost like a bodily reminder of why are you doing this thing? You're doing this thing, you're fasting, so that you can draw near to God. And what's fascinating is the more you practice it, the less hungry you get, interestingly enough, but over time. But 
the easier it is to dwell on God throughout the course of your day. It becomes almost like a second nature thing. I'm sure there's some psychological and you know, reason for this, but I just know what happens. As we fast, it just becomes easier to do what Colossians 3.1 asks us to do, which is to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And it's actually through this that God begins to change us. Maybe even through fasting, I, I tend personally in my own experience, I become more aware of other people. I also become more aware of God's voice in my life where I find that God actually speaks to me more and prompts me to do certain things, maybe for the benefit of others, while I'm actually fasting, which is fascinating. I don't know how or why, but it just seems to be the case. And it is completely within line of thousands of years of Judeo-Christian tradition. So when, I'm, when I fast, or when we fast, we're also submitting to a knowledge in a tradition that has long been here long before us. And we're stepping into what many, many, many Christians and followers of Jesus have participated in over the course of history. That's why we fast. That's kind of the basis. We can go a whole lot deeper than this, but let's get practical, all right? So if you have some paper or pen or whatever and want to take some notes, this is the time to do it. So how do we, how do, we do it? How do we actually do this thing, all right? It's great talking about it, but we're not just thinking people. We're, we're beings. We're doing people. So let's do it. Well, here's a disclaimer. If you have, in the past, had eating disorder issues or body image issues that have resulted in an unhealthy view of food in the past or currently, I would encourage you to abstain from fasting for a period of time, or if you do, do it in a mentor relationship with somebody who you are directly accountable to. That's a big disclaimer because there are many di spiritual disciplines and feel free to participate in all of them, but some require a bit more care if you know yourself well enough because it can easily create within you, I would just like to get skinnier as opposed to I would like to draw closer to God. If your motivation is, I'd like to be a, a, a pant size lower, then you probably shouldn't fast, all right? That maybe, now is not the right time, all right? Maybe later, but now is not the right time. Also, I'm not your doctor, all right? You have a doctor. Talk to your doctor if you are worried about health issues around fasting, all right? So those are, that's my disclaimer. I'm not a counselor or a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. But for the vast majority of us who are healthy, fasting is actually a very normal part of human life. People have been doing it for many years, and we have an abundance of food around us, so there's no worry about starvation here in this context. With that being said, how do we do it? Ways of fasting number one. A partial 24-hour fast. This is, like, this is like the first baby step into fasting. So what does it look like? Typically what it can look like is your last meal is usually either lunch or dinner, preferably dinner because it's a big meal, and that's your last meal and then you start to eat again at dinner the next day. So you're really only missing two meals, lunch and breakfast, and you're just going from dinner to dinner. Uh, I would encourage you to drink juice and water. Juice is very helpful to kind of quench hunger. 
um, because of those sugars and all that fun stuff in there. It kind of tricks your brain into thinking you had something really yummy. So as a, as a baby step into fasting, juice is a great thing to kind of help that process. Never stop drinking water, ever, all right? We know this, three days max is probably what you can go without water. Don't stop drinking water. You can go way longer without food, but don't stop drinking water. This one, honestly, you'll, your mind might play tricks on you if you have never fasted before. You'll start to like imagine you're going, you're starving to death. You're not starving to death. It's okay. Um, that's a good time to start praying, to start drawing near to God when you think you're hung, starving to death. It's probably around like day 15 or 20 in an extremely long fast you might start experiencing you know, starvation pains, not day one. Way of fasting number two. It's not very different to the first one. The only difference is just drink water, no juice. That's actually a big difference um, because juice is, can play a lot of tricks in the mind to help you get through that period of time of not eating for two meals. Um, your breath will start to stink. Um, you probably, it's great to wear masks now because you know you don't you get that distance is helpful sometimes. Um, you will get very hungry, and water won't really satisfy you. But you know it, it will. It's it's good enough. It'll get you through drinking lots of water. You'll probably use the bathroom a lot because that's all you're drinking is water. Uh, all you're having is water, and yet you'll you'll actually begin to notice how difficult, um, how much of a dependence you actually have on food. And even in a 24-hour fast like this, it's crazy how much God reveals to you what controls you. Uh, and it's, yeah, it, it, it's just so simple, um, but he just reveals so much even in a short period of time. Um, I try, I don't always, not every week, but I try and fast on a Tuesday. I go out west to lay light, I just don't bring a lunch, and I just, you know, cry in my office because I'm so hungry. And <laughs> everybody else is like, there's morning tea for a birthday. I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, and, um, but it, it's, it's crazy how, Frequently, at least for me, my mind is just playing tricks on me and how easily I start to rationalize having food. Um, I know I'm fine. I'm, I'm young. I'm healthy. I can probably go many days without eating and have very little effect on myself. I know that. Um, but around lunchtime, oh, my God. You know what? After lunch, if you just, you know, if you get through lunch, Joey, you can maybe, you know, you can just go over and at 3 o'clock, there's always, you know, biscuits in, in the cupboard. And you, just, you, did a, you did a great job. You did great. You just, just walk over there and just grab a biscuit. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I deserve that biscuit. <laughs> I did a great job. And the, I start to, this starts to go, and then in those moments, I'm like, no, I'm not doing this for the fasting's sake. I'm doing this for the Lord. And I would like to say every time I don't eat a biscuit, but sometimes I do. All right, completely honest transparency. I am not a perfect person. My hunger controls me a lot of the time. I'm a very hungry boy. All right. But you'll, you'll, your mind will start to play tricks on you. But over, over the course of time, over the course of maybe even like 12 weeks or 14 weeks of maybe fasting once a week, a 24-hour fast, dinner to dinner, that's it. It will actually become easier. You will actually start to notice um, your awareness of God's presence in your life actually increase. God's there. He's there. Sometimes we're just so busy in the course of our day, we just don't notice he is. And it is a beautiful thing that all you got to do is just not eat. And it is just one way for us to set our minds on things above. And our stomach is like an alarm clock for that. 
All right. And then the final way, not the final way, but the reasonably, I think, within this context final way is to fast for a long period of time, three to seven days. Um, this is not something I would do regularly. I'd, I think I've only gone three days once in my life, and that was because Lauren and I were trying to discern where to go for internship back in 2014, 2015, after school, and we had some good options. We didn't know which one was a good option, so we needed some clarity. At the end of it, God did speak to us. He didn't say anything in particular, but there was this sense of clarity as to what decision we should make. It was yeah, completely subjective, you know, as you know, God does operate on that level a lot of the time. But we sensed that this was the right decision through this weekend of fasting. And then I had Fruit Loops as my first meal. <laughs> and it was the yummiest meal I've ever had in my life. Man, those sugar is a powerful thing when you haven't had it for a long period of time. So this is a tough, this is t I wouldn't do this one very often, to be honest, but I wouldn't discourage you if you would like to. Um, definitely let people, someone know that you are because it's good to check in on you. But what you'll notice is actually around like day two or three, you're not hungry anymore, which is fascinating. Water sustains you, um, you're not hungry, like, and, and all these other things of like focusing on God just become second nature, and, and yeah, you'll probably have a headache, you'll probably feel groggy, your energy will be low, but Around like day seven, your energy's back to normal. You're, for the average person, your energy's back to normal. You're, you're firing on all cylinders. Your, your headache's gone. Your, your brain is actually really clear. And the ability to actually draw near to God in prayer and is incredibly easy and doesn't feel like a discipline, oddly enough. And the desire to draw near is just is so tangible and so real. Um, it's really important after a fast, even 24 hours or a long one, especially a long one, to not have the worst thing in the world you can possibly think of to eat. Even if you are going dinner to dinner, I would encourage you to have maybe a piece of fruit first and then have dinner or um, have a vegetable or some carrots or something, just something really base level, nothing no processed stuff, none of that, and then just, just ease yourself into it. 24 hours is not a big deal, but if it's a long fast you're doing, then certainly ease yourself into it. Uh, one time I fasted and I ate like a equivalent of Dunkin' Donuts donut, and that was the worst thing you possibly do. I had a headache for three days because <laughs> the sugar was too intense, but don't do that. So back to our passage real quick. Our passage today was talking about how uh, Jesus is in the wilderness and he's fasting. And when I was reading that passage, we're not going to go too deep into it because you can take that sermon, that passage into a whole different section. But we're really just focusing on the fasting aspect of Jesus. When I would read that passage, I'd be like, well, Jesus, why did you go into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, presumably, and fast for, for 40 days? Why did you do that? When you're at your weakest. It's like you're asking the devil to come up to you and to tempt you and to make you do all the things you don't want to do. And then I think about it, thought about it a bit more, and I'm like, no. Jesus went into the wilderness knowing he would be combating the devil and also, in some really intense theological terms, the demons of Israel's past, which is what he was doing in the desert, interestingly enough. And he knew he needed to fast. It's actually was fasting was the thing that sustained him and helped him get through, in my opinion, through that long period of time. 
He knew he needed to focus in as the beginning of his ministry and really zero in on the will of God and what God wanted before he really did anything else. He was baptized, the spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he fasted. And then it's almost like, well, when, when the devil came and tempted him, it's like, well, of course he would want that bread that you know, the devil offered. But I imagine Jesus knew so well and so intimately and closely that the real bread that sustains him is the word and the will of God. That's the real thing that sustains his person and who he is. So when the devil was like, well, here's some bread, Jesus is like, well, no way am I having that. I've just had the real bread from heaven. I've just had the real thing. The word of God, God had been ministering to me for 40 days through this practice of fasting. There is no way I'm eating that material, you know, perishable bread. That's kind of what I think is going on here. Fasting for Jesus was actually a strength, not a weakness. And I think for us it can be very much the same thing. Fasting can be a strength and not a weakness. So what's this look like um, maybe this week or this month or whatever? Well, I would just have a, if you want to do this, you don't have to. It's an invitation. It's not a requirement. You're not like a super Christian by doing this. It's the question of what thing can I do? What life liturgies can I actually participate in that help form me into the person that God wants me to be? And fasting is one of those ways that, one of those things that God uses. So what can, how can you implement potentially, you don't have to, but how can you implement fasting into your weekly or monthly routine of life? Does it make more sense on a Monday or on a weekend or when you're, you know, you're alone from people most of the day, so it's, you're on your own schedule and not other people's schedule of meals? Or maybe you do fast and you're like, well, how do I incorporate more prayer and maybe meditation or silence within the fasting that I already participate in? Because I'm sure there are people here who do fast. I don't, I'm not assuming there aren't. But it's good to reflect on that because you are not a static individual. You are always being changed. When you're young and through your teenage years, the most change is happening. But at every point in life, we are being changed. And everything we practice, everything we participate in, everything we do forms who we are. So Christian counterformation to the world is actually participating in spiritual disciplines and practices. And fasting is just one component of that. So how can I be formed by God's kingdom and by Jesus more than what's happening in the world? Fasting might be a way to start with that. Let's pray today. Jesus, thank you for, thank you for the invitation to be here and to be with you. Lord, we just ask that you would that you would instruct us as we participate in these disciplines, as we participate in these practices that you practice, Lord, and you're inviting us into. Lord, I ask that you just reveal to us today how we can participate in your kind of life. Um, it will be different for everyone, but Lord, even right now, I just ask that your spirit would just minister to people and help them understand and even have a plan as to how to draw near to you in very intentional ways, in very simple ways, and even as simple and mysterious as not eating for a meal or two to draw near to you. Lord, we just love you and we surrender our whole selves to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.